This morning I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, uh, to Mark chapter 4. And we'll read the, the end of the chapter there, verses 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4. As you're turning there, remind us that this is the story of Jesus calming the storm on the sea, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, as Jesus is continuing to uh, conduct his public ministry, he has been teaching in a number of parables uh, to the crowds in the earlier parts of this chapter. And then he is uh, moving on, continuing his ministry uh, as we pick up this story this morning. It continues to reveal to us who Jesus is and uh, his person and his work. And so on the surface, uh, the story of, of Jesus calming this storm on the sea may seem like a nice little story about Jesus saving the day. Uh, keeping the disciples from uh, perishing and, and calming the storm. We may have heard it, heard it growing up in Sunday school, this story. We may have heard it in Sunday school last week or last year. Uh, but it's, there's more to this story as we dig down into it and get into it. it. As we get into it, we realize behind this story, it gets to some of the really the big questions that we ask about life, that we ask as human beings. Uh, it gets to some of the frustrations that we have as human beings. Uh, we ask Questions like, can God be trusted? Why do bad things happen to people? Why do bad things happen to me? Maybe you're wondering that here this morning. Why am I going through what it is I'm going through right now? And so as we get into this story this morning, we discover that it brings out uh, emotions of fear and doubt and worry and even anger. All of these come out in the story. And so God's Word has something to say to us this morning. And it reveals to us ultimately what we really need as we get into it. And so... Uh, let's turn there now uh, to picking up at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we do pray over these next few moments that you would uh, make yourself known to us through your word, that you would uh, reveal to us yourself uh, through your word and what we truly need. Uh, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Why does God allow hurricanes? This was a question that was asked to me uh, here recently in the wake of Hurricane Florence hitting the North Carolina and South Carolina coast in the southeast uh, over a little over a week and a half ago. Why does God allow hurricanes? Uh, if, you, most, if many of you have been following the news, Hurricane Florence, uh, like I said, hit the southeastern coast uh, a little over a week and a half, two weeks ago. Uh, and uh, it brought a lot of rain, a lot of wind, particularly a lot of rain into uh, the southeastern United States, uh, many areas had flooding, and unfortunately, in some places, people uh, lost their lives due to the storm. And so this was a good question. When I was asked this question, I said, that's a really good question. Uh, we all have this question, I think, at times. Why does God allow hurricanes? Why does God, in other words, I think what, what the question is really getting at is why does God allow bad things to happen to people? Why does God allow bad things to happen to me, maybe? Why is my job 
difficult? Why are my coworkers, my patients, my customers, why are they so frustrating? Why are they so difficult? Why can't my children just listen to me? Why are they so disobedient? Why can't they listen and obey well? Why doesn't my car work right? Why do I have to keep fixing my car and spending money on my car? Why does my house keep having things break down and I have to spend money on them instead of spending it somewhere else I want to? Why can't I get along with my family? Why can't I get along with my spouse? I'm tired of fighting, tired of arguing. Or maybe we lose our jobs and we ask these questions. Why does God allow bad things to happen to us? We don't get into the school of our choice or whatever it might be. As we go through life, we experience life in a fallen and broken world. We ask these questions. So I told, I said, that's a good question. And we can talk about it a little bit right now. And we'll continue to talk about it because this is a big question that a lot of us as human beings ask. Why does God allow bad things to happen to us? Why, when life doesn't go the way we plan it out to go, the way we want it to go, why doesn't life go uh, the way we want it to go? And so in these cases, many times when this happens to us in our lives, we become angry. We become uh, frustrated, just like the disciples did. And we wonder, does God really care about us? We say, Lord, do you not see that we are perishing, we are drowning here, the waves and the waters coming over into the boat? When we experience death, when we see family and friends and and loved ones uh, dealing with death or sickness or whatever it might be, miscarriage, whatever it might be, when we've suffered from abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, whatever it might be, whatever we have suffered and gone through in this life, a lot of times we ask the, uh, the question of, does God not care about me? And what happens in these situations is, is we're, we're afraid. We worry. We doubt God's goodness. And even in some cases, we get angry with God like the disciples did in the story we just read here this morning. They get angry with God. They say, why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why aren't you getting up and saving the day? Can't you see that we're perishing? Why would you let someone hurt me? Do you not care about me, Lord? These are the questions that we all ask. We wonder if God is really good. Can he be trusted? The disciples were asking that question. We ask these questions daily, weekly. And so as we look at our text this morning, our text brings comfort to us and reveals to us ultimately what we really need. Uh, what we really need as we go through life. And so with that said, let's turn to our text now. Picking up at verse 35, uh, as I, I mentioned uh, just a few moments ago, Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching in parables to the crowds uh, that have come to see him. Uh, he's been healing many people in the area around the Sea of Galilee. And so, uh, but evening has come and Jesus wants to go across to the other side of the sea. He says, let us go across to the other side. Evening is coming and, and presumably he's wanting to go out and to continue to preach. In fact, back in Mark Uh, Chapter 1, verse 38, he said, this is why I came out. I came out to preach, to preach about the kingdom of God, to preach the gospel. And so he leaves the crowds and along with his disciples and actually some other boats, uh, they head across the sea, across the Sea of Galilee. And then as soon as they begin to embark upon this journey across the sea, a great windstorm uh, arises out of, out of nowhere almost. Mark tells us that. Uh, and to, to understand this storm a little bit, you've got to know a little bit about the, the geography, the area uh, of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus and his disciples were traveling. Uh, the Sea of Galilee sits some 700 feet below sea level. Uh, and it's surrounded by mountains and hills. And so it's basically down in a, in a valley, in a bowl, in a basin. And, and so, you know, they're down in this hole kind of almost, uh, this, this huge sea. Uh, but it's surrounded by these mountains and hills. And then some 30 miles to the northeast 
of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, which sits some 9,200 feet above sea level. So the mountain's up here and the sea's down here. And that cold air coming off and hitting that, uh, mixing with that warm air coming out of the Sea of Galilee produces many times great storms like the one uh, that we see taking place here at the end of, of Mark chapter 4. And in fact, that word translated as, uh, as great windstorm can also be translated as, as hurricane. So this was a pretty big storm. This was a pretty big deal. Uh, a lot of wind, a lot of rain, uh, a lot of waves crashing uh, around the boat. It wasn't any, just any little storm, but it was, a, it was a pretty big deal. And so water was coming in. Waves were crashing over the sides of the boat. And the disciples and Jesus were traveling across the sea. And, and it's filling up with water. And so you can imagine the disciples at this point are starting to get a little worried. They're starting to panic a little bit. And the fact that they're panicking says something because the disciples were fishermen. Uh, this was their trade, was going out on the Sea of Galilee and, and collecting fish to sell. Uh, these were, were men who may have grown up around the Sea of Galilee and they had worked on it for a number of years. And so uh, they would be familiar uh, with the storms that they see on, on the sea. In fact, they even still occur to this day in that area. And so if they're scared, it must be something, it must be something big happening if they're, if they're afraid. And so as all this is happening, you can imagine their frustration uh, as they turn over there and look at Jesus. Where's Jesus? Jesus is asleep. On a cushion in the boat, in the stern of the boat, taking a nap. Meanwhile, they're panicking, they're worrying. You know, Lord, do you not care about me? Do you not care that we are perishing? You can imagine their frustration. But isn't that often how we respond to God when things don't go the way we planned? When our life doesn't go the way we want it to go? We lash out at God and we say, Lord, do you not care? We accuse God, we put Him on trial. And that's basically what the disciples were doing here. They were saying, God, Jesus, why is this happening to us? Do you not care about us? As we think about this in our own lives, we ask that same question. And we say, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care when my health is failing? Do you not care when I've suffered great harm at the hands of others? When my child doesn't listen to me, when my child doesn't care anything about the gospel, about Jesus. We ask these questions. God, do you not care about us? Do you not care when I don't have enough money? Do you not care when I'm criticized uh, by my coworkers or my boss and my work is not appreciated? Or when we're not appreciated at home by our family or our spouse, we ask out and we cry. Lord, do you not care about us? And so we get angry with God, oftentimes when life doesn't go the way we want it to, the way we planned it to go. Like the disciples were saying, do you not care if we drown? We are asking that same question to Jesus. And the suddenness of this question that the disciples ask of Jesus reveals not only their fear, but like I said, their anger. Uh, they're upset that he's not coming in to save the day immediately. He doesn't appear to be caring about them. He's asleep on a cushion in the boat. And so what's going on here is the disciples are failing to see, just like we fail to see, that when life doesn't work the way we want it to, when it seems out of control, when the waves are crashing in day after day, week after week, and we keep getting hit by life, we forget that God is with us. Because where is Jesus? Jesus is in the boat. He's not over on the shore. He's not in the town surrounding the Sea of Galilee. He's in the boat with the disciples. He might be asleep. He is asleep. But he's there in the boat with them. He's with them in the midst of the storm. And so we see that Jesus, and the disciples see that too, that Jesus is present with them. He's present with them in their troubles as they go through life. Many times, soldiers, when they go to war, will carry something with them, an item. 
maybe a picture or something else that uh, brings them comfort. They keep that with them uh, as they go through uh, battle. It might be the picture of a girlfriend or boyfriend, a fiancé. A uh, picture of one's family, picture of one's children. In fact, this week when I was reading a little bit about uh, these things, some even keep have kept uh, a small stuffed teddy bear uh, on themselves in their pocket as they go as they go into battle. These things, these items, bring them comfort. Uh, some keep engagement rings and other things. Whatever it is, they keep something with them uh, that, that brings them comfort in the midst of battle. Because when you're in war. You're facing uh, stress and strain on a daily basis. You're, you're facing the threat of death and destruction and brokenness each and every day uh, as you go out to battle. And so these items bring these soldiers comfort and hope to them. They're present with them through the ups and downs of war. Just as Jesus is with the disciples in the midst of the boat, He is bringing comfort to them just for the fact that He is there. He's not... On the shore, but he is in the boat with them. He has not abandoned them. And so we can remember this for ourselves too. When we go through trying times that God is with us. He's with us in the boat. He's present with us as we go through trying times in life. He is present. And so Jesus is present with the disciples. And as as he is present, he responds to their panic. He responds to their worry. We see that. In verse 39, we see that Jesus stood up. You can picture Jesus standing up, kind of calm, cool, collected. And he rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, Peace, be still. And the sea is muzzled. That's another way of saying that it, it, it became still. He muzzled it. Uh, the, the sea stopped raging. He commanded it to be silent. In fact, the, the form of this verb that's translated as, as be still... When Jesus spoke this to the, to the sea, to the ocean, to the waters, uh, basically it means that that condition shall remain in effect. It shall persist and remain in effect, basically until Jesus tells it to do otherwise. And so it was still. The, the, the water was as still as glass. It was calm. The wind immediately ceased from blowing and roaring. And so as quickly as the storm appeared, as soon as Jesus spoke, it disappeared like that. The storm was gone. The water was as smooth as glass. And so the disciples are there in the boat. They're witnessing this. Just a few moments ago, they were panicking. They were worrying. They were like, how are we going to get out of there? Jesus doesn't care about us. What are we going to do? And now they're wondering, what just happened? What's going on here? What's going on here is that creation is responding to its master, to Jesus. Jesus is conforming creation to his direction. Remember back in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 when God created the world and all that is in it. He brought order out of chaos. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. He's bringing order out of chaos on the Sea of Galilee. As the storm was raging around the boat, he brought order out of chaos. And remember too, in the beginning when God created the world, Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And so in other words, Jesus was present. Jesus has always existed from all time with God the Father. And Jesus was present with God when the world was created. And by Him, through Him, all things in heaven and on earth were created. And so creation here, as Jesus speaks to to it, it is responding to His direction because it knows the voice of its Master. And also Jesus is doing here as He demonstrates uh, His power over nature is... He is revealing more of who He is to the disciples. He's revealing to them that He can only do the things that God can do. Remember back in our call to worship this morning from Psalm 107. It tells of a story where 
Uh, some sailors were on, on the sea and a, and a storm came upon them. And they cried out to God for help. Help us. Deliver us. And he hushed the storm. He calmed the storm. Just like Jesus calmed the storm here with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. God calmed the storm in that song. And so Jesus is, re- is revealing to to his disciples more of who he is, more of his person and his work, and calling them to recognize the presence of God in himself, that he is God, Jesus is God, God in flesh, God in flesh and blood and bones, that he has power over creation, he can bring order out of chaos as he calms the danger that's posed to his disciples. And so what we see is not only is Jesus present, he's in the boat with his disciples, he's in the boat with us as we go through life, But he also has the power to quiet our troubles as he calmed the the sea and and stilled the storm. And so because Jesus has the power to quiet our troubles, we can turn to him. We can turn to him in prayer and cry out to him and run to him for help when life is not going the way we want it to, when life isn't going the way we planned it out to be, when times are hard, when times are trying. We can cry out to God because he has... He has power. He has power over the creation. He's able to quiet our troubles. We can trust Him in the midst of life's storms. We can go to Him and run to Him with our needs, knowing that He provides all the healing and He provides all the rest that we'll ever need as we go through life. But I think oftentimes we hear this and we know this and we believe this, sometimes intellectually, but what really, where it's hard for us to put this into practice is, what about when things don't change? What about when life continues to, to hit you? Does God not care? That's the question that we ask. And so a lot of times, what is going on in these situations when we continue to get hit by life, we continue to get hit by, by trouble and difficulty and challenges, is sometimes God allows His people to go through storms. In other words, He allows us to go through difficulties. He, he uses these times in our lives to shape us, to shape our character, to, to increase our reliance upon Him, to trust Him, that He is all that we need, that His saving power is sufficient, that we can rely on Him. And we know too, when we go through these trying times, that, that, in, that uh, these bad things that do happen to us, uh, we know that they are inherently connected uh, to the brokenness of this world. In other words, the world doesn't work the way it's supposed to because of, of sin. We don't work the way we're supposed to because of our sins. And so many times these things, are, these things happen in our lives due to just the brokenness of the world that we live in. But we can, God can use these things, these sufferings that we encounter uh, to shape us, to form us, uh, to bring glory to His name. In fact, remember uh, back in Genesis 1 and 2, again, going back to the beginning when God created the world, uh, man and woman were put in the world uh, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Westminster Short of Catechism attests to this. So we were put in the world to bring glory to God. And even through our suffering, many times we can bring glory to God in the way we encounter that suffering. Peter says in his uh, epistle in 1 Peter chapter 1, picking up at verse 6, he says, talking about uh, trials, he says, You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And so we hear this and we say, oh, that's nice, Peter. It's, it's easy for you to sit back and say this, that, that God can use our trials to, uh, to uh, test the genuineness of our faith, our reliance upon him. And, and these things are going to happen. They're going to bring glory to God, to Jesus when he returns one day. Uh, you know, how can you say this, Peter? Well, remember, Peter was in the boat. Peter was in the boat with the disciples that day. He was in the boat with Jesus. He was one of those that were panicking. He was one of those that was worrying. But he was also one that spent three years of his life with Jesus as Jesus uh, did public ministry. And so now, granted, Peter did have his moments of lapses where his his faith was weak. And we see that later in the Gospels. But uh, later on in his life, Peter... um, served the church faithfully, served Jesus faithfully. In fact, he was later put to death at the hands of Nero, the Roman emperor, when there was a persecution uh, taking place against Christians in in the Roman Empire in those days. And so Peter knew what it was like to suffer trials, various trials as he calls them. He knew what it was like to to crawl out and to cry out to God and ask for help and know that God, that Jesus had a reason for the things uh, that he was going through. Jesus has a reason for the things that we are going through. But our culture doesn't want to hear any talk about pain or suffering. Now, oftentimes our culture, and in, in fact many times a lot of our churches, uh, they don't want to hear about pain and suffering. They just want to teach a message of being happy, uh, prosperous, and healthy. Dealing with sickness and the ups and downs of life is unheard of. In fact, many times it's, un, it's offensive to people. They find it hard to believe that God can use the challenges in our lives for our benefit. To shape us, to mold us, to increase our reliance upon Him and to know that He is good. He is good enough. And so again, the question, what, what happens when God, when the storms don't stop? When life keeps hitting us? When the, when the waves keep crashing in and coming into the boat? And the boat's filling up. How do we respond? I think simply put, we trust God. We trust God, even though we don't always know why the things that are happening to us are taking place. We don't always know that. But we know if Jesus is God, which we believe that Jesus is God, God in the flesh, we believe that He was raised from the dead. He was willing to die for us on our behalf so that we might have forgiveness, so that we might have reconciliation and peace with God if Jesus is God and he was raised from the dead to save us from our sins to pay for our sins and he's got to be good enough he's got to be great enough to have reasons for why we are going through the things that we can't always understand he's good enough he's great enough Jesus is enough because he is God and he was willing to die for us I don't always know though why Things happen. Why bad bad things happen? I don't know why bad things happen to me in my life. I don't know why in our family that we have lost children uh, through miscarriage. I don't have an answer to that completely. And I don't know. But what I do know is that God is good enough and that Jesus is good enough. God is God and we are not. God is creator and we are creature. And we can trust Him even when we don't know completely why we are going through and experiencing the things that we've experienced in life. We can trust Him because He is good. He is God. Now this doesn't excuse or deny the pain and the suffering that you may experience, that you may be experiencing now, that you've suffered in the past. Because that is real. That pain is real. But one thing we do know is that Jesus is greater. He's greater than any pain that you are going through. Jesus was willing to die so that you might have life. So that you might have forgiveness and peace with God. Forgiveness of sins. 
Jesus is good enough and he is present with us as we go through our troubles. But he's also able to quiet and still the storms. And so he responds to the disciples' request and he calms the storm. And so at this point, we think the story's wrapping up. Everything's okay. Uh, everyone lived happily ever after, right? Well, the end of Mark 4, the last couple of verses, verses 40 and 41, reveal to us that the story's not quite over. This story's not quite over. It's like one of those movies you go to and you think the tension is wrapping up and everyone's living happily ever after. And then a, a, a zinger, a twist comes in at the end, and the movie goes on, the story goes on for another 15 to 20 minutes. And, and, and so what Mark does here is he kind of leaves us with a cliffhanger uh, in, in these last couple of verses, uh, because in verse 40, Jesus has already questioned them about why were they afraid. Jesus was in the boat with them, and he's questioning, why do you have such little faith? Uh, and so he's saying, do you not trust me? And in fact, much of the focus in the story is on faith. Where is our trust at? He says, do you not trust, in other words, he's saying, do you not trust that my saving power is present with you in the boat? It's the same question we asked, and we don't trust Jesus oftentimes when we're in the midst of pain and hardship and difficulty. We forget that Jesus is with us in the midst of it. And so we can find comfort and hope in this. He's saying, turn to me and trust in me. I will see you through the storm. But as I said, Mark leaves us with kind of a cliffhanger here. And in verse 41, we see uh, the, the disciples after Jesus, uh, he, he kind of gets on to them a little bit about, you know, where's your faith? Have you not seen what I've been doing? And, uh, and we see that they're filled with great fear. They even say, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You would think that the disciples are relieved, that they're excited. Jesus has calmed the storm. You would think that they are comforted by this. And the funny thing is, the irony is that they're even more afraid. They were filled with greater fear. And so their fear increases after Jesus saves them. It doesn't make sense. And so what's going on here in some sense is the disciples are starting at a very small level to understand something more about who Jesus is. He's not just a miracle worker. He's healed many people up until this time. But he's more than that. They are beginning to recognize in some small way the presence of God in Jesus. And this scares them. It unsettles them. In fact, they're, you could say they're terrified. They're uncomfortable by Jesus' presence with them because they can't control them, can they? They're in the boat. The storm is coming. It's raging. And they're wondering, why isn't Jesus stopping it? They can't control him. But we can't control God either when things don't go right in our lives. And so a lot of times we're often unsettled and uncomfortable with God. They can't control Him and neither can we. So again, where does the disciples' question though come from? Who then is this that the sea and the wind obey Him? And we see them filled with greater fear. What's going on here? Again, as I said, they're beginning to realize at some small level that Jesus is more than just an ordinary, everyday human being. That they are sensing the presence of God in Jesus. And it scares them. They are afraid. They're filled with great fear. In the early 1500s, Martin Luther, one of the leaders of the Reformation, uh, before he was a leader in the Reformation, that's what he's more well known for, but before that, he was a Catholic priest. And so he had prepared uh, to become a Catholic priest uh, in the early 1500s, and he was uh, preparing to conduct his first Mass. And so as he began the ceremony, it began well. Uh, he had great confidence, great self-control. He knew what he was doing. He said the right words. 
And then he got in the, to this part in the, uh, in the Lord's Supper and communion to the prayer of consecration. And he couldn't speak. He froze. His lips began to tremble, to quiver. Uh, beads of sweat began to develop on his forehead. He was dripping sweat. And he tried to speak, as I said, and no words came out. And this went on maybe for a few moments, and he still couldn't get the words out. He, he, he had stage fright. And call, he froze. And so, as I said, this went on for a few moments, and then he, he finally eventually took his seat. Uh, and and he, could not, he could not continue on. And so his father was there. His father was embarrassed. His, his son had failed at his first official uh, duty as a priest. And so though, what happened to Luther? What, where did his words go? What happened to him? Well, at some point after this, I don't know how long after this, Luther explained what was going on in his mind when he froze. He said, Who am I that I should lift up mine eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? For I am dust and ashes and full of sin, and I am speaking to the living, eternal, and the true God. This was a question that had haunted Luther for most of his life. In other words, what he was saying here was how could an unjust and sinner like himself survive in the presence of a just God, a God who is holy and perfect in every way. In other words, how could someone who fails to follow God's word survive in the presence of, of God, the one who is the, the definition of perfection? And so I think what's going on with Luther is also going on in the disciples' uh, minds at some level. This question they ask, who then is this that the wind and the sea obey him? They're filled with great fear because they're beginning to sense, again, in some way, that Jesus is more than just a, a regular, ordinary human being. They're sensing some presence of God in him. And they knew that they were unworthy. They knew that they were men of unclean lips, that they were not worthy to stand in God's presence. They were not worthy to stand in the presence of the one who embodied perfection. So just like Luther, they were asking the question maybe to themselves, how can someone like us stand in the presence of a just God? And that's the question that we all ask, whether we do it explicitly or implicitly. We ask that question, how can we stand in the presence of a just and holy God? And so why are the disciples still afraid? Why are we still afraid oftentimes in life when we encounter Jesus? It's because just like the disciples, they were exposed, they were undone. They were exposed for who they really were. Men who were unworthy to stand in God's presence. They were sinful men and so they were uncomfortable being in the presence of perfection. And so this fear was intended to move them to faith, to trusting in Jesus. The work of Jesus was intended to move them to discipleship, to trusting and following Jesus. But instead they were filled with greater fear. And so as we return to the problem that we mentioned at the beginning this morning, often we're angry with God. We doubt His goodness. We, we wonder, why are the things happening to me? Why is God allowing these things to happen to me? Why doesn't God intervene? Why doesn't He stop the storm like He did on that day at the Sea of Galilee? Why doesn't God stop the storms that are going on in my life. And what we fail to realize is that we're asking the wrong question because God has stopped the storm. It's just not the storm that we typically want Him to stop. It's usually what we want Him to stop is the difficulty and the trouble that we're facing day in and day out. And we forget that God has stopped the storm. Because if, you take, if we look back at this story of Jesus calming the storm, we see some parallels with another story that took place on the sea many, many years before that 
And that's in the, uh, the Old Testament story of Jonah. Jonah the prophet who was sent to Nineveh to preach to the, to the Ninevites. To preach a message of repentance. J- Jonah, just like Jesus, was traveling on the sea in a boat when out of nowhere a sudden storm came and was raging. And both men were asleep. Jonah was asleep in the boat and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And both were suddenly woken up by men who were afraid, afraid for their lives, and were crying out for help. And then we see supernatural intervention take place as the sea was calmed in both stories by God. In the story of Jonah, the sea was calmed after Jonah was hurled into the sea, and God stilled the storm. And the only difference in these two stories is Jesus wasn't thrown into the sea. Or was he? Because if we look over in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 12, when Jesus is teaching at another place and another time, Jesus is talking about something greater than Jonah being here in their presence that day. And that other person that Jesus is referring to that's greater is himself. Jesus is referring to himself when he's speaking about something greater than Jonah is here today. And so what Jesus is talking about is Jesus was the one who would be thrown into the storm. He would be the one who would be willingly thrown and hurled into the storm of the cross where He voluntarily suffered and died for our sins, and where He gave His life so that we might have life. So Jesus has stopped the storm. He has stopped the storm of God's wrath. It's just not the storm that we typically think about. We typically think about what's going on in our lives every day, and we forget that Jesus has, has stopped the ultimate storm. And so faith in Jesus overcomes our greatest need because our greatest need is forgiveness and reconciliation and peace with God, with God our Creator, the One who created us. And this is offered to us through Jesus and His work. And so one day Jesus will completely do away at His return. He'll do away with all sin and death, all brokenness. He will calm all the storms and all the hurts, all the disappointments of our life. He will free us and rid us from all these things. He will free God's world and wipe away all places of sin and death forever. There will be no more. There will be no more storms, no more people dying. No more miscarriages, no more abuse, no more sickness, no more suffering. Because in that day when Jesus returns, He will make all things new. And this is the promise that we have from God to those who believe and trust in Jesus. Now, it doesn't make life always easy. Life is difficult. We experience pain and disappointment and suffering. But we can have confidence, we can have comfort knowing that Jesus didn't abandon us in the greatest storm he ever faced, as he was at the cross, as he willingly went to the cross and was separated from God the Father, who he had had a perfect relationship with from all eternity. He was separated from God the Father and suffered the punishment that we all deserve for our sins. And so we can have confidence and we can have comfort knowing that Jesus has done this for us. He has stopped and stilled the storm. And if Jesus didn't abandon us in that most awful of all storms at the cross then He certainly will not abandon us in the smaller storms that we face each and every day in our lives. And so this is true peace and comfort in the midst of life storms. That In the most uh, awful of all storms, when Jesus was separated from His Father and took the punishment that we deserved, because He didn't abandon us, abandon us there and then, He will not abandon us in the much smaller storms we face each and every day in our lives. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you that you have stilled the storm. You have stopped the storm. That you have taken 
the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion, for our sin against you. And knowing this, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this day, that you would enable us to go out and live in the midst of the difficulties that we face, knowing that you have taken care of our greatest need, and that is is reconciliation, peace, forgiveness before God the Father for all those who believe and trust in you. And so we thank you for this, Lord. We pray that you would bless us now as we go out from here this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking about and looking at this story that we just talked about this morning, Jesus calming the storm on the sea, I was thinking about Christianity in general and the what I say the earthiness of our faith of Christianity is. And what I mean by that is, is all the things that take place uh, in, in the Christian faith are rooted uh, in, in the earthiness, in the, in the uh, place of space and time in God's creation. Uh, think about the calming of the storm uh, that we just uh, read this morning. And, and there was Jesus and his disciples. They were on the sea uh, in, in, in the waters that God had made. And this storm comes up, wind and rain. Uh, they're in a boat made of wood. Again, an earthiness feel to it. And Jesus, at his command, the wind and the waves were hushed. They were stilled by their master, by their creator. And then at the cross, as Jesus goes to the cross, he carries a wooden cross, again, that comes from trees that God made. He was nailed to the cross, to a wooden cross, where he gave of his life and, and bled real blood. Uh, his flesh and blood was nailed to the cross. And where he suffered uh, the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And made peace with God. And then as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, as we come to the table, we take of these elements again that come from the earth. Uh, bread and wine. And we take and eat and drink of this meal so uh, that we might celebrate on the one hand and remember what Jesus has done to us and that our faith uh, might be strengthened, that we might be encouraged to go out and live in the midst of the difficulties we face in life each day, each week, knowing that Jesus has calmed the storm, the greatest storm that, that we will ever face. Uh, as he suffered and died on the cross for us. So we come to the table this morning uh, to celebrate and remember what Christ has done for us. This table, uh, we invite all those who profess the true faith, the true religion, who believe and trust in Jesus to come and take and eat of this meal. Or members in good standing of a church that preaches and proclaims the gospel to come and take and eat of this meal as we do so now together. That we might be strengthened, that we might be encouraged to go out. Let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for the eternal comfort that you have brought to us through Jesus. That through Jesus being hurled into the storm of the cross, that our greatest need has been met, has been answered. And so I pray as we take and eat of these elements and drink, that you would uh, encourage us uh, as we live life. Uh, Many times in ways uh, that life disappoints us, that you would encourage us from this meal and remind us of what you have done for us, that you have met our greatest need through Jesus at the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen.